Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning. You may not feel like you're standing as a giant today or walking as a lion. You may feel much smaller and much less intimidating than that. That's okay. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm Carmen LeBurge listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And yesterday we received the blessing of God from the book of Numbers. And I don't want us to lose track of that. And I don't want us to walk quickly away from that. So let me remind you today. Today, the Lord bless you and keep you. Today, the Lord makes his face to shine upon you, and the Lord is gracious to you. Today, the Lord turns his full attention in your direction. And today, the Lord gives you peace. It is this blessing that is spoken Um, by God, given by God as a blessing that Aaron will then speak over the people and every generation of priests following Aaron. And it is this blessing that comes into reality in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, you are blessed and you are kept. In Jesus, God has made his face to shine upon you and shown his grace to you. In Jesus, God has full, turned his full attention in your direction And in Jesus, God gives you peace. So I don't want us to walk away from um, that that blessing today. Today, we have another um, form of blessing. It's actually a blessing of God spoken um, by the people to God. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 3. So I want us to um, listen and receive and then prepare ourselves to glorify God in the ways that the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Just for a moment here, pause and consider that God has gone beyond all earthly measures and that God stands ready and able to do immeasurably more. Do you trust that today? Do you you believe that about God? God has already gone beyond all earthly measures? Well, yes and amen. But do you also believe that he stands ready and able to do immeasurably more? That's the affirmation um, lifted up here in this blessing verse from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. This is our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. If you're not already signed up, um, you can sign up for the Growing Your Faith verse of the day at MyFaithRadio.com. While you're there, check out a ton of other great stuff we got going on right now, including, including Waking Up to the Goodness of God. Um, Susie Larson has a new book. I think, oh, the street date is like Monday or Tuesday. So it's uh, it's about to hit the streets. Waking up to the goodness of God, 40 days toward healing and wholeness. And because of our um, wonderful partnership with the publisher, we are in a position to give away 100 copies this month to help you start the new year on your path to healing. So you can... Um, 
you can sign up for that as well at myfaithradio.com. All right. Where in the word are you today? I am in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. To him, to him, that's to God, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? I hope you just uh, said with me a resounding amen. To him who is able. Do you believe that God is able? I mean, he is. But do you believe that God is able? Able to do immeasurably more? Able to go beyond every earthly measure? Do you also believe that he's willing? Do you believe that God is able and willing to do more than you have yet dared to ask or even imagine? And you say, Carmen, I have asked. I I have asked for impossible things. I have asked for hard things. I have asked for good things. I have asked for... Um, healing and the alleviation of pain. And I have asked for um, the provision of resources. I've asked for peace. I've asked for reconciliation. Do you still believe today that God is able and willing to do each and every one of those things according to his will? Able, yes. Willing, Yes, but it's also according to his will. And that willing part is not my will, but thine be done. And that is, that is hard. It's not according to my will. It's not according to my timing. Um, And we can't make it happen. It is all according to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to what? According to his power. And you say, well, God has the power. God has the dunamis. God has the power. Um, It's interesting here that Paul talks about the power of God at work. Where? Within us. So is, is the power still on? Is the power supply still flowing? Is the light still shining? Yes, and amen. But where and how? Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. I mean, you think it's an amazing miracle that God condescended to human flesh to dwell among us full of grace and truth. It is no less miraculous and remarkable that the Holy Spirit of the living God has condescended to inhabit each one of those who believe. That There's no, no less drama in the, in the reality that the Holy Spirit condescends to inhabit human beings. Uh, that's just no less uh, or no more or less miraculous than Jesus becoming human. God is at work right now, right now, in the same way and by the same power that God um, was at work in the person of Jesus. God is at work right now in those and through those who are in Christ. That is remarkable. So the question is, are we cooperating? Are you cooperating right now with the active power and work of the Holy Spirit within you? That is where God is working. That is where God is at work. That is the work that God still has to do, bringing each one of us into greater and greater conformity by one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Christ. Are we cooperating with the active work and work of the Holy Spirit right now? 
Are you connected intimately and intentionally with other Christians in the body of Christ? Because Paul's not actually personalizing this in the way that we might prefer. Paul is talking here about the power of God at work in us, plural, collectively, the body of believers, of which, yes, we are each individually members, and so each one of us needs to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit, but we also need to be working in cooperation with one another. That is a conversation unpacked in the next chapter of Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4. So back to today's verse. To him, to God, to the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him, to God, to the God who is working right now within and among us according to his power, to him, to God, be the glory right now in the church and in Christ Jesus. When? Right now, throughout all generations, including this generation, and yes, forever and ever. Amen? Do you stand in agreement with all of that? I do. Our friend Mark Caleb Smith is going to join us next. We're going to unpack um, some of the headlines of the day, and we're going to do so in a way that equips each one of us as believers in Jesus to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Christ. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Mark Caleb Smith is here. He's the Dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University. You can find some of the things he's writing at BereansAtTheGate.com. Good morning, Mark, and Happy New Year. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing today? Oh, I might have gotten up a few minutes late for me, and so I'm, I'm actually feeling a little harried. How about you? Uh, I'm, do, I'm in pretty good shape right now, so I'm doing, I'm mm. doing all right. It's good to talk yeah. with you. There's a huge difference between 3.30 and 4 in the morning. I'm just, there just is. I mean, like, by 4 in the morning, I'm late, and there you go. And that, yeah, so. I will take your take, word for it. Taking a deep breath. All right, so uh, persuasion, power, and influence. These are just three words that I jotted down when I was thinking about the way you and I and every other Christian in the culture today, um, the opportunities, the challenges set before us as our country enters into, uh, more fully enters into a political process that will eventually produce a couple of people um, between whom we will make a choice of president. So can we just kind of think about persuasion and power and influence and seek to do so from a Christian worldview? Oh, yeah, that's a good, uh, it's a good way to, I think, to frame Christian political action for sure. Um, Power is just a, a, a raw ability to force people or force organizations to do what you want them to do. Um, power, I think of it as like coercion. You know, I have the ability to do something. I can force you to do it, whether it's with your will or against your will. And you're not in a position to withstand <clears throat> just sort of my raw use of, of power. Persuasion is uh, is very very different. You know, persuasion is the ability to convince someone uh, that it's in their interest, and maybe it's the right thing to do to go along with what you want them to go along with. And so, persuasion, I think, certainly requires a relationship. It requires uh, reason. It requires usually some level of respect. Um, and it's not about coercive influence. It's about sort of a communal. Uh, obligation that we have to enter into dialogue with people so that we might persuade them of the rightness of our cause and the justice of our cause. 
Um, now, you know, I think you, when you use the word influence, you can obviously be influential and be very powerful. You know, if you're powerful, you will have influence of a kind. Um, but I would argue that as a believer, um, our true influence would be through persuasion. It would be through our witness where we can uh, show people the goodness and the righteousness of what we believe with the hopes that they will see the goodness and righteousness of that. And then through that, see, uh, obviously, the, the goodness and righteousness of God. And so, you know, I think when we do a lot of political action as believers, our default mode is power. You know, how, what do we need to do to become powerful? Who do we need to cozy up to? What kind of relationship do we need to build? What kind of authority do we have to be able to wield so that we can simply get done what we want to get done? Um, and again, I understand in a, in a raw sense why sometimes that might be uh, seem useful. Uh, but I think for long-term influence on culture and society and the way that we do things in America, we should really be looking for persuasion instead. Um, and, and you know, I think I would argue in the last 50 years of Christian political activism, we've kind of walked this tightrope. And sometimes we've fallen too far on the side of power um, and probably made some mistakes along the way. I actually think that um, that image of a tightrope is a really good one. I heard another person describe that similar image of like, you know, if you're walking at the top of the very crest of a mountain, you want to be very, very careful, you know, that your foot falls directly one, one, you know, heel to toe, heel to toe. Like you, you want to be very careful that you don't step too, too far to the left or too far to the right because your peril becomes obvious. I think when we talk about, um, ourselves as Christians engaged in every single one of the conversations of the day, many of which are in some way or at some level political, um, that's, that is the challenge for us as Christians. I know, I know there is a right way to have these conversations. I know there's a right spirit to remain in. I know um, that my calling is to be persuasive and, and influential in the spirit of Christ and not not just seek to use raw power um, to condescend, to um, to belittle, to um, to see people as less than they are, or to regard the way they're thinking about something as you know just beyond reason. Um, and I think that's the those are all of the earthly or worldly temptations that we have to be watching out for. Um, the world is always inviting us to be worldly wise, and we want people to walk in the wisdom and the spirit of Christ. Yeah, I, I think that I think Scripture uh, gives us a good image of this. You know, when Christ sends out his disciples, he tells them he's uh, sending them out amongst as sheep amongst wolves, and he's asking them, he's exhorting them to behave as uh, as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Mm. So it's both. You know, it's both. I mean, it's it's being shrewd and being wise in the ways of the world to some degree, but it's being innocent in our approach to the world. It's being you know, maintaining our witness, maintaining our truth, maintaining our love, but at the same time still being shrewd about the world in which we find ourselves. And that's a really high bar um, to be able to do both. Uh, but I think when you talk about political engagement, you talk about power and persuasion, you're really talking about balancing those two things. Because, uh, you know, some, again, sometimes power is the right goal. You know, when you're talking about in a criminal justice context, the state needs to come down and use its power to coerce someone into a jail cell or to coerce someone into handcuffs. That isn't necessarily the wrong thing to do. Uh, but on the other hand, when we're in the context of, of voting and elections and campaigns and those conversations that you're talking about, it shouldn't be about power. It should be about persuasion. 
Uh, and much less, it shouldn't be about politics only. It should be also be about witness. It's got to be those things simultaneously. Yeah, and that's where, you know, you and I can be having this conversation right now in front of a global audience. Um, but what you just said about the coercive power of the state, um, you know, we want we want to also recognize that depending on where you live, we we do see the coercive power of the state used in ways that are not good and are not godly. And so context matters and context matters in our interpersonal conversations as well. So I know you know Mark I know you know that Mark. I just wanted to you know amplify that and be sure we gave that a voice. I mean as we approach Martin Luther King Jr. Day, like I am aware that there have been times in our own history when the state has used its coercive power in ways that were unjust and certainly ungodly in relationship to particular individuals. And so um, every time we have the conversation about who we're going to elect and what those people are going to be elected to do and the ideas that they represent and then the laws that they will put into place and then, you know, on and on and on from there, we are having a conversation about justice and goodness, and we are having a conversation about life together. Yeah, absolutely. No question. And context is going to drive a lot of those discussions to a great degree. Um, and But again, even understanding and engaging in that context is going to require thoughtfulness, going to require uh, a little bit of subtlety. And certainly within the American environment, we haven't always been, uh, we haven't always shown those characteristics very well, I would argue. Yeah, that's so good. I just feel like I just wrote in my own notes, like, you know, Humility is just so yeah. essential in these conversations. So thank you for that. Hey, let's take a very brief, brief break. When we come back, I would like for you to talk with us <clears throat> about the principle of immunity. Now, we're not talking about how my physical body might be immune to something. We're talking about the principle of immunity in the justice system. Um, so that's the conversation we're going to have next with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. I have made difficult assignments for him um, on this particular morning, but he's up to it. So we'll be uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Maybe you've heard that Faith Radio partners with One Child to offer you the opportunity to sponsor a child living in difficult circumstances in a hard place. Well, when you sponsor a child supplying for their needs, you change a life. And when you change the life of one child, you change the world. Your one child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine, and that God's got special plans for their life. Your one child gets help with school and is taught skills like leadership and how to even overcome poverty. Your one child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that can be life-saving. You might not be able to change the world, but you can, in fact, change the life of one child. Meet the kids. Find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with our friend and colleague, Mark Caleb Smith. He's the dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University. Um, Immunity. Uh, Maybe just your reflections on the principle of immunity. We have seen it play out um, in a court of law where a particular individual is making the appeal that he is immune um, from all uh, criminal prosecution because he served as the president of the United States. And in that role, you are immune. Um, what, what does that mean? What's the principle of immunity? And then, um, and then maybe we can unpack, you know, it as a conversation 
among believers where, you know, we just recognize we're all going to stand in equal judgment uh, before the seat of Christ. Yeah, I mean, as you're referring to, I mean, President Trump has been, uh, former President Trump's been in the courtroom uh, this week, uh, and his team has been arguing in front of the D.C. Circuit Court um, that he should enjoy some level of presidential immunity from criminal prosecution for acts that he undertook while President of the United States. Um, Immunity at least as it relates to presidential actions, is really not all that well developed constitutionally because we've had so few cases where this really has become an important issue. Um, There's a pretty broad agreement that uh, no sitting president could be prosecuted for a criminal offense for something that he did or she did while if it was within their official actions. So even though it could be considered criminal at some level, if it's part of their official conduct, they really can't be arrested and charged as part of their official responsibilities. And the reason for that is we don't really want the Department of Justice, we don't want the judicial branch to be given enough power to sort of frustrate and undermine and arrest the president sort of willy-nilly for whatever reason they choose. And so we're trying to maintain separation of powers with that sort of longstanding policy. But there's also really broad agreement that the president could be charged criminally for any conduct that isn't part of his duties at all. You know, so, for example, if the president were to engage, um, you know, let's say uh, in a horrific situation and spousal abuse, for example, and that was documented and known, the president could be criminally prosecuted for that because it's not part of the official duties and it's personal conduct. And it certainly could be prosecuted even while president of the United States. The real question that the, the Trump is, is arguing for is after leaving office, <clears throat> can the president be held criminal responsible, criminally responsible for things that may have been connected to official duties? And that's the argument that, that's under that's taking place right now in the DC circuit. And he's arguing that he really shouldn't be criminally prosecuted for anything related to his official duties uh, unless he'd been convicted in an impeachment process. And I think that stretches the boundaries of the Constitution. I would, I, I believe um, Jack Smith and his prosecutorial team argued the president really should still be responsible, um, can be criminally held. Uh, you know, if, if your listeners were paying attention in the last couple of days, sort of one of the big takeaway lines was this question from one of the judges about whether or not uh, a president could be prosecuted for ordering SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival. Yeah, and that pretty that puts it in really stark terms. You know exactly what mm-hmm. we're talking about. And to what degree can a president really be held responsible uh, for something? Yes, the president has the power to use the military. The president can order them to do things. But we would all agree that that's a criminal act. And so uh, this is the fine line that the court's trying to figure out here, um, because this is you know whatever strong opinions you have about President Trump. When we think of the law, we can't just think of the, the 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 facts that are in front of us. We have to think of the long-term effect of whatever ruling comes down here, because this will set That's in right. motion future events where this could be used and abused by one part of the other, one party or the other. Um, I think there are conversations here about um, Lex Rex or Rex Lex. Um, you know, the king. And the law, or or is the law king, and therefore everyone's subject to it? There's a conversation here for Christians to have about um, divine law and natural law. Um, there's a conversation, and and then whatever nat- national 
laws uh, happen to be on the books where they live, um, a form of government in a time and place. There's, um, you know, I think for Christians, there is a a conversation here um, about who we elect and then what we expect from those we elect. And then the, the power that each one of us has um, to speak our voice through our vote. And so as we enter into this particular year, I just, you know, I want to set this before us as an item of prayer, deep consideration, thoughtfulness, and to prepare ourselves in advance for these conversations, because these are the conversations we will be having. Um, Even if these aren't stories that you are necessarily paying attention to in the headlines, everyone else is. And so I want you to be aware of what's happening. Um, And the former president of the United States is going to spend a fair amount of time in and out of courtrooms, um, you know, over the foreseeable future because of the legal challenges that he faces in multiple states and at the federal level. And so these are conversations that the culture is going to be having. And as Christians, I want us to be equipped to engage in them. Mark, as always, thank you so much for the role you play in those conversations as well. I I appreciate it. Thanks to you. Thanks to your listeners. And a happy new year to all. Yeah, likewise. That's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. Um, Yesterday, we talked a little bit about my word for the year, which is small. And one of you um, was so kind to to text in and say, I hope that you're reflecting on 1 Kings 19 as a part of the way God might speak to you um, about that which is small. And that is obviously um, the text where we hear God in his still, small voice. So let's talk about um, the way God speaks, um, sometimes in his loud, booming voice, but other times in a very um, small and still voice. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. God is speaking today. Are we listening? God is, God has spoken through Jesus Christ. God has spoken through the word of the Old and the New Testament, and God is still speaking through that through which he has already spoken. Think about that for just a moment. God is speaking today through the word in which he has already spoken. So if you and I are not in the word of God, if you and I are not by the power of the Holy Spirit Um, immersing ourselves in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, if we are not looking there and listening there, then how are we going to hear God speak through that which he has already spoken? So I'm going to invite you into the Word of God. I'm going to invite you um, to engage with us in reading the Bible together at Faith Radio. Um, I'm going to invite you into the Bible this year. If you haven't already joined us, um, we'd love for you to engage in reading the Bible this year with us. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, every single day, more, more than once, you and I need to be immersing ourselves in the Word of God in order that we can hear Him. There is, um, I can't remember exactly where it was in, in The Chosen. I mean, we're far enough into that series now that, <clears throat> you know, I can't tell you, oh, it was season two. I don't know. I'm going to just throw that out there. Who knows? I don't know exactly where it was. Um, and the Googler isn't telling me. So, but somewhere along the way, Jesus says 
something along the lines of, well, you don't want to hear my loud voice. He's speaking personally and quietly. And, and he jokes, you know, you don't want to hear my loud voice. Why is that? Well, because the loud voice of the Lord is like the sound of many rushing waters. It's like Niagara. It's like the, it'd be like trying to sit and listen at the bottom of Niagara Falls. It'd be deafening, absolutely deafening. So we're thankful that God speaks to us in ways that we, as fragile human beings, can hear. And um, I am going to be listening this year for the small voice. Yes, the big voice, but, you know, the big voice is deafening. And so if God has to go to the lengths of speaking in his loud voice, um, well, God help us, right? So let's be immersing ourselves in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and let's be um, seeking God in the word that he has given us um, that we might hear him. So I am going to be reading now from um, 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel that El- what Elijah had done. Now, what had Elijah done? Well, Elijah had killed all the prophets of Baal, and that was a lot. Um, and you could go back and read that story um, in, uh, in 1 Kings 18. And so uh, Elijah's now on the run. And so he's fleeing. He was afraid. He ran for his life. That's what it says in 1 Kings 19. <clears throat> he ran for his life. Um, he left his servant along the way in Beersheba. And he continued on a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he just said, God, let me die. Let me die. It's enough. It's enough, Lord. Take my life. Take my life. I'm, I'm no better than my father's. Have you ever reached that point? Do you know anyone who's ever reached that point? Who just ran for their life found a solitary place in the wilderness, laid down, and wished to die. Did you know that the great prophet of God, Elijah, was in that circumstance? Did you know that? He slept under the broom tree, and an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. This is the kind of exhaustion that, um, if you've experienced it, you know this testimony. Literally, he is, he is sleeping every hour and arising only long enough um, to eat a baked piece of bread. It says cake, but that's you know not cake like you and I think of it. Um, and a jar of water. That's it. And he lays back down. And the angel comes again a second time and touches him and says, arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he um, went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. When we think about um, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, who do we think about? We think about Jesus. But Elijah spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness with God as well. Um, and God sustained him by this, you know, miraculous food. And there, 
at Horeb, the Mount of God, he came to a cave, and he moved into it. He lodged there. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) What, What are you doing here? And Elijah said, well, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And, and even I, only I am left. And they seek my life too to take it away. And God said, Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And the Lord passed by. And a great and a strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces and rocks before the Lord. That's the, that's the loud voice, my friends. You don't want to hear God speak in his loud voice, the kind of voice that, that literally by the power of the wind tears a mountain apart and breaks it into pieces. Like we do not want to hear the Lord's loud voice. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Again, we don't want to hear this loud voice. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats himself, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel has forsaken your covenant and they've thrown down your altars and they've killed your prophets by the sword. And I, only I, just me, I'm the last one. And they seek my life to take it as well. And the Lord says to him, go. Go back the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mechaha, you shall anoint to be prophet in your, in your place. So this is, the, this is God um, telling Elijah that he's going to pass the mantle to Elisha and also anoint the kings of, um, of Syria and of um, Israel. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God's confirming in what we know as this still small voice. Um, God is confirming, first of all, that Elijah is in fact not alone. There are some 7,000 people in Israel who still very much belong to God at this point in time. And um, God's got a plan and a provision for the future. In fact, Elijah is not going to be the last of the prophets, um, but God will raise up another in his place, and that is Elisha. So where is God in all of this? When you look around, when you look around, when you listen carefully, do you see a world where Mountains are falling down and things are breaking apart and people are being devastated by earthquakes and fire is ravaging communities. Yes. And do you see deep division where, you know, the, the believers, the, the religious um, people 
rise up against one another and tear each other apart? Do you see war? Yeah, absolutely. Where is God in all of this? Sometimes God is speaking in a very, very quiet, still, small voice. Not, not in the collapsing of the mountains into the sea, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not with a big voice, but in a small voice. And in a world where so many people are seeking um, to have such a big voice in the things of the day, what might happen if you and I spoke in a whisper? What if we lowered our voices? What if we had one-on-one conversations? What if we said things in small spaces? Have you seen and have you heard? And if so, are you obeying? Here's a question to consider today. What's the last thing? What's the last thing you are confident God told you to do? The last thing God revealed to you was his perfect will for your life. One thing, one thing. What's one thing, the last thing that you know for certain God has spoken to you? Have you obeyed it? Because until you and I are found faithful in the small things, in the last thing, in the thing that we know God has told us to do, why would we imagine that he would set us as stewards or managers over larger things? So let's focus on some small things today. Whatever the one small thing is that you know God is calling you um, to do or to quit doing, to say or to stop saying, to invest in or to withdraw from, to build or to tear down, whatever it is, whatever, it, whatever the last thing is that you know for certain God told you to do, what might happen if today you were obedient to that calling? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. Um, And I told you that I was thinking that in this new year, we would do like a Monday mailbag. So we're going to try that here on Thursday. And we're doing it on Thursday so that you'll send me some mail that I can address in a Monday mailbox on Monday. How's that sound? All right. So some some Monday mailbag here on Thursday next here on Mornings with Carmen. Whew. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I mean, it's a brand new year and I'm already tired. I don't just mean tired. I mean like spiritually tired, soul tired. Maybe you're struggling too. Maybe Christmas didn't all work out exactly like you thought. My friend Susie Larson wants to take us on a journey to explore God's goodness, his healing power, to know his peace that passes all understanding, to draw near to him. If you want in on that, all you have to do is text the word good to 877-933-2484. Again, you just text the word good to 
888-888-8484. And every single morning, you'll get a text message from Susie Larson to wake up to the goodness of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. All right, so uh, a little Monday mailbag here on Thursday. You got you got a question for me? You got something you're wondering about? You've got something you'd like to have me talk about? You can send me an email, carmen at myfaithradio.com. You can uh, hit me up on the text line, 877-933-2484. Not promising to answer everything on air, um, but would would very much appreciate your engaging in this way so that we can talk amongst ourselves uh, with each other. So Shirley sent me an email um, in which she told me a little bit of her own story. And then she basically asked, hey, is there, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm headed on a, on a journey. I'm headed to a place, um, to a thing. And I thought maybe it would be fun to take some Faith Radio stuff with me so that I can share with others the ministry that, you know, I so appreciate. So Shirley listens in Madison, Wisconsin, and so good morning, Shirley. What you're looking for is called the Faith Radio Ambassadors, and you can find Faith Radio Ambassadors under the Get Involved tab at MyFaithRadio.com. So you go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you look at uh, those headers up there, and one of those headers says Get Involved. You click on that tab, and there's something called the Faith Radio Ambassadors, and you become a Faith Radio Ambassador, and we send you stuff that you can then distribute to others. Little podcast cards, um, postcards, like prayer cards, we all, all kinds of things will equip you to be a faith radio ambassador. So you can share with others this ministry that is important to you. So Shirley, thank you um, for your email and your willingness to be a faith radio ambassador. I love that. Jessica is already an activated Faith Radio ambassador. She lives in Georgia. She's the one who, you know, from time to time will send us pictures of, hey, I went to Kenya and I, I took some Faith Radio stuff and I connected with the pastor there who listens. Like, that's a, that's a super engaged um, Faith Radio ambassador. So thank you, Jessica. On the text line, she shared that she's traveling to an event in Orlando and um, and she packed up some Faith Radio postcards and some podcast cards to distribute there. So, Jessica, thank you for that. That is great. Here's an email from Ruth. So, Ruth saw this social media post on a friend's feed. And Ruth agreed with everything that she was reading in the post. Ruth's question is, so I clicked on the person who originally posted it. And I'm not sure that person is somebody that I want to be linked to on social media. Can you help me? All right. So here's what's going on. The post was about New Year's resolutions that everyone can make. So just think about that for a moment. Could you come up with a list that was agreeable enough that literally everyone could like it? I could like a list that included things like be kind and highlighted humility and mercy I might instinctively like a post like that, correct? Well, Ruth is a regular listener to Mornings with Carmen, and she knows that before you hit the like button, you ought to know the source of the material that you are, quote, liking. Because even though even though every single one of us um, says in, let's say, our you know social media bio, just because I like something, that doesn't mean that I like the person who posted it or everything else that they post. Like that's not it's not um, it's not a it's not like me giving 
um, giving a hooray to them. Like, don't view it that way. Uh huh. But that's how we view it. I'm just letting you know. That's how it's viewed. So she clicked on the author's page, and there she found a series of articles that this man has written about his advocacy for gay marriage and for abortion. And so Ruth was um, good to trust her, trust the Holy Spirit within her, saying, hey, check the source before you click the like button. Um, The person behind the post that she was looking at is a Roman Catholic priest. His name is Father James Martin. And Ruth was right to hesitate just because somebody is, in this case, Roman Catholic, doesn't mean they are necessarily aligned with what you think and believe um, about life or about marriage. This particular individual often advocates um, for things that are contrary to um, God's revealed will in Scripture. So while liking one thing on social media does not mean that we have liked everything— Um, Who we link to on social media does matter. And so thank you, Ruth, for your question, and thank you for your spiritual sensitivity to to what's going on out there in the world of social media. Bob sent an email asking a question about a book that a friend emailed him about. All right, so Bob's email um, says, do you think this book is going to be helpful? All right, so the book. The book is called... The False White Gospel, Rejecting Christian Nationalism, Reclaiming True Faith, and Refounding Democracy. And the author is Jim Wallace. So, in a word, Bob, and the answer to your question, do I think this book is going to be helpful? In a word, no. No, I don't. I do not think this book is going to be helpful. I think this book is written in order to garner high-profile media interviews, um, on secular outlets primarily, but also in liberal Christian outlets. Um, There are a lot of people out there who want to find, quote, Christian evangelicals um, who are on the far left and get them on public record against a particular political candidate, somebody who they want to see lose the 2024 U.S. presidential election. Let us not lose sight of the fact that is what this is about. That's what this is about. The author of the book, um, Jim Wallace, does uh, hold himself out as a person who is Christian, evangelical, and a pastor. And I would say that each and every one of those terms ought to be scrutinized. We ought to scrutinize anyone who is, um, you know, saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm an evangelical, and in this case, he's a pastor as well. Now, the pastor part is, is, uh, is organizational, that's denominational, and so um, you probably ought to have a mental running list of those um, that are on one side or another of big issues like abortion um, or the, um, the ultimate um, dividing line of Jesus as the Christ, um, the, things like that. There, there ought to be some... some pretty easy ways of categorizing some things in your mind. However, not everyone in any organization believes or upholds everything that that organization says about itself or believes or upholds. So we need to look at individuals as individuals. So let's look at this individual. When he describes himself as an evangelical, what is he, um, what is his good news? What is the good news that he is um, a herald of? Is it 
Jesus Christ alone as the way to salvation. No, that is not the gospel that Jim Wallace is preaching. He is definitely preaching a different gospel. And you don't have to read his stuff for very long to figure out what his gospel is. And so let's back up to the first word. He describes himself as a Christian. What does that mean? Who gets to define that? Well, ultimately, God and God alone knows the heart. And so I'm not going to judge whether or not another person um, is a Christian. However, I do recognize that Jesus says not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because someone professes to be a Christian um, doesn't necessarily mean that by the standard um, that the only standard that matters, which is that of Christ, um, that they are. So there you go. Thanks for um, communicating via email. You can send your questions uh, to Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. You can post them on the text line, 877-933-2484. We'll do Monday mailbag again on Monday. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.